Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back to our second live episode in January. We've realized that we did both have some news that we had over winter break and we totally glossed over it in the last episode. We we even did like a little intro and we just didn't even... Well, we were talking about news resolutions and, you know, that's important too. We were talking about the future, not the past. That's true. <laughs> I guess. Even though we have it in the future. I know. I know. Vicky's going to say this is not the same thing, but we both have new little ones in our lives. I brought a human into the world. Okay. Amanda got a puppy. All I, right. Jeez. <laughs> My puppy is like, well, oh, like an infant and a toddler combined. Your baby can't walk yet. Mine is running around oh my, my apartment. Oh, my God. <laughs> the moms that are listening to this are just like, she did not just say that. Look, like, I, She has a I, newborn. I am well aware that it is different. But in some respects, Thank you for acknowledging that. I never didn't acknowledge it. I, I've always acknowledged it. But he does keep me up. He wakes What's me up in name? the middle of the night. His name is Liam mm-hmm. Alberto Sologi. So you gave him a middle name? I gave him a middle name because... So there's a story behind the middle name and I didn't mm. feel like it fit as his first name and I still wanted it. So oh, okay. I had an Australian shepherd, German shepherd oh, mix growing yeah. up. Mm-hmm. Um, we got him during the Winter Olympics and he was a puppy. Oh, okay. And we named him after a skier named Alberto Tomba. Oh, so yeah, because I was like, I thought it was yeah. just Tomba. So yeah, we okay. named him Tomba. And so as a homage to my dear dog that I had for 16 years, I wanted to. Oh, I didn't realize it was 16 yeah, years. Yeah, name have a name in there alberto Mm -hmm. when i met him i just didn't feel like he was an alberto Mm -hmm. so i made it his his middle Mm -hmm. name but Mm -hmm. he is a australian shepherd australian cattle dog and husky mix so he found him at a shelter found him at a shelter so Mm -hmm. i adopted i didn't shop and Um, the new law actually just went into effect this year where uh, pet shops in california can no longer uh, get from puppy mills right like they have to get them Uh from shelter uh that's gonna be very interesting yeah that's it is well and and i've already gotten some comments on instagram about thinking that i didn't adopt wait what like people are just like well oh my god because i think when you see like a A brand new puppy i mean i got him when he was six weeks so a lot of people would assume but Mm -hmm. it ended up being the mom got dropped off at the shelter pregnant and had a litter of 16 and wow yeah is the mom still there? Did um, they have them all together? Did you separate them? Oh my god, I'm so sad. <laughs> the brothers they and sisters. Already. There was already like f- I got him the day after he was made available, and wow. there were already five adopted that same day. <gasps> I mean, yeah, because of They're puppies. Cute, but yeah. he's he's a great mix. He's a great mix. I can already tell he's smart, but he's still really young. He can't really go outside. Can't mm. really do much yet because he hasn't had all the shots. But mm. he is adorable, and we're actually gonna get him trained to be a therapy dog. Mm-hmm. So if you see us at future IEP events, he will be there once he gets once he graduates mm-hmm. from his training program. Yeah. But obviously, like I said, not the same as your little welcome yeah. to the world. But my baby is a mix of Maury, <laughs> my husband, and myself. 
I also think she's really smart <laughs> and she cannot go outside. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, I, we welcomed a, a beautiful baby girl in December, in early December, and she's beautiful. Her name is Blair. And yeah, just been dealing with that. So all the moms that basically know what I'm talking about know that I'm tired and <laughs> and just try to do the best that I can. You know, being a first time mom and parent, people always ask like, oh, how do you feel? I'm like, you can't really describe it. It's like a roller coaster. You just never know, right? Yeah. So it's been a whirlwind. And now we're in, at the end of January and it's just like, oh my gosh, it's like so crazy. But yeah, a lot of cool stuff for us this year. Uh, 2019 will be different, but as you can tell, we're pretty much still the same. <laughs> we didn't even mention any of that. We went right into like, you guys, here's our live podcast. We're back. This is what's happening. Um, it's been a while since we recorded. It's yeah, been, it has been. You no, know, we, we recorded a bunch ahead of time. Yeah. So the ones you heard at the end of the the year were recorded ahead of time and, and prep for Vicky's leave. So yeah, we're happy to be back recording. Yeah. So that's pretty much like the new stuff. We have to have Philip on. We haven't had. Philip oh, on. yeah. We have we made that. the announcement? Yeah, we did. Remember? And oh, yeah, we, we did. Just like... Oh, yeah. Because we didn't get a chance to have him on. Right, 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 right. Before. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, this year, our law firm and our nonprofit will be changing some more. So we'll have more details about that later. Mm -hmm. But we are excited. I think everybody, when there's a new year, gets excited, right? It's it's a blank yeah. slate. And, you know, we have goals for both the law firm and the nonprofit. And you guys have helped us reach and go above and beyond the goals that we had for our podcast last year. And we're just setting those goals. That's the yeah. thing with goals is like once you achieve them, it's just like, mm. and then yeah. you make other ones. Like right. it's just never ending. You, well, we need I to think, be in the moment and like yeah. be appreciative well, of like what we've done. And I think that's that's part of the problem sometimes yeah. is that you set a goal, you meet it, yeah. and you're so focused on the next, the next, right. the next that you don't appreciate yeah. or – you like know. revel in it yeah you, know? you don't congratulate yourself for a job well done yeah. and so we definitely i think that's a good thing for us to do for this next year is really mm -hmm. you know we get bogged down and we have some mm -hmm. tough cases or mm -hmm. we have some opposing counsels that we deal with mm -hmm. that are difficult or you know even sometimes dealing with you know just difficult situations with clients and i think that holds us down so much more and than the good things i actually i forgot i was going to tell you this i had read an article about something that was like doing kind of like how you do with your journal about oh, putting yeah. something you're grateful for. Mm -hmm. I was thinking for the office, for us to be able to revel more in mm -hmm. the good things, mm -hmm. the success stories, mm -hmm. I want to put a jar in the office and every time we have a good outcome or a success story, mm -hmm. we write it on a piece of paper and put it in there. And then at the end like of – at first I was thinking at the end of the year we break them all out, but I think that's too long like to maybe wait. at the end of the month. Yeah, at the end of yeah. each month we can bust them out and we can yeah. say these are all the great things that we did this month. These I are all the that. things, people that we helped so that I it doesn't that. get – because I think you know our interns, Victoria, Anna, and Lauren are – working so hard for us and they're doing such amazing jobs and we appreciate it and they've now been so much more encompassed in the world of they're special education going on to you know i think anna will be a year but like yeah victoria and lauren have been with us for two years yeah now, so and i think they're starting to hit that stride that we've hit before where it's like you get hit harder with the difficult times and i want to make sure that they keep their spirits up yeah and i think for us we do such a unique area of the law so Whereas some of our friends that we've talked to that do personal injury, you know, they see the 
type of clients or the type of opposing counsels that took us like five or six years to hit, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, wait, what? They hit us like, all we at had once. an opposing I've had an opposing counsel yell at me. Like I was an attorney for like a week and we're just like, that's never happened to us. They're <laughs> like, I've been doing this for seven years and that just happened. You know, right, I think right. for us, you know, we're very lucky. It It is almost a tight rope that you walk because these are parents that have children with special needs. And as anybody would know, a mama bear is the most ferocious, Mm -hmm. you know, you do not want to cross a mama bear. But I think most of the time, if not like all of the time, parents are just so grateful to find us. Yeah. So it's not like a family law attorney that gets bogged down because, you know, this parent's like, no, you're supposed to get me this and da da da. Like, and it's just, there's just so much, but you know, we don't really get to see that. Yeah. And obviously now man and I were going into eight and seven years of doing this actually like 10 because T- basically 10, we were advocates. Also in law yeah. School, yeah. Um, so we have, well, I'm just going to start saying 10 for both of us, you know, we've seen a lot and yes we were maybe younger than some other special education attorneys when they started Um, we've talked about this before a lot of special education attorneys or law firms around us they had done some other area of the law they had a kid that had special needs and then they got thrown into you know it fought for them their own kid and then they realized oh this is a much needed area of law switched over right and so you know they've dealt with all those types of opposing counsels or you know admin people or or even sometimes clients and so you know the last couple of years especially having our own firm we've been very very lucky yeah (laughs) especially I think with the nonprofit. but that positivity I love that's such a good idea because it's easy to get lost in the negative you know and and sometimes they say like you know you're in the car and it's good to just like yell out you know road rage but like sometimes that consumes you and it's not so good like I'd say you know yeah let it out but like sometimes when it's still bothering you and then all you can do is focus and that that was the point of writing something grateful no matter how bad of a day something good had to have happened well and I think that's something that I've talked to a couple clients about but like I think Parents of kids with special needs, they're fighting so hard for so many things, and rightfully so. And I think sometimes it's hard to see when the kid does cross a milestone and things go really well. A kid makes progress on goals, and I think sometimes it's easy to question, did they really make progress? Then if they did make progress, be able to live in that moment and say, you know what, this is working, what we've been doing. Because especially it's like the parents, you fight so hard for the things that you're fighting for. And you did this, right? right. You know, we are helping you with things, but you did it. You fought, you did, you knew what needed to be done. And when the kid makes progress and you see that change, you know, it is something that you should should revel in and you should celebrate and so, you know, we, I guess, challenge you to do the same as as we're going to keep writing down our good outcomes and, and really trying to celebrate the, the good success stories that we have. You know, if you can do that with your child, even if it's small, you know, even if, you know, they've been writing their name with the R has been backwards each time mm-hmm. and they finally start to write it where the R is face forward. That's something to celebrate. That's a milestone, right? You know, they may be small and each day if there's something small, I think it goes a long way for your mental health and for the yes. mental health of your child too. Yeah. 
And I just think if if you miss a couple of days, that's that's fine. It, it's one of those, you know, you don't have to have, a, you know, a calendar where you're writing every day, but it's just, it's taking that moment, even if it's just like recognizing it, like, oh my yeah. gosh, like I, I, the planner that I had last year, I really liked my actual planner for like work and stuff, not the little journal that I had. I had like a little box and it'd be like victories for this week. Mm. And it's just like, oh, what? Like, yeah, yeah I should talk there are. about, yeah, there's there like are always, victories. even if they're mm-hmm. small. Yeah, and I mean, for us, yes, we could actually have a victory with like settling a mediation or uh, or a hearing or yeah. something, but being able to, you know, sign two clients or whatever, like that's a little victory yeah. or, you know, yeah. helping somebody, you know, I I just think that that's a good idea. And yeah, we should totally do that. That would be good. Well, anyway, that's what we're going to do. So hopefully you guys could do something similar. Um, yeah. Don't get caught up on the everydayness of it, but just, you know, I think it's all about, or at least my mantra for this year is in the moment. Yeah. I think you know as I will enter into you know that that work-life balance and you know all this stuff or having to deal with mommy guilt I think it's just people get caught up on on the emotion and our focus should just be like in the present being in the present and like if you and I are like hanging out it's just like we're hanging out and we're in this moment I'm not thinking about oh my god like we have this stuff to do or like blah 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 because I think we especially both of us we're just always and that's how we've gotten yeah. to where we are well yeah i mean there's well, like that's what's hard you have to do that you, you have, have to, to pre- yeah. prepare for the future yeah. and you have to pre- yeah. you know do everything but it doesn't have to be all the time right you can have you can set times be right. like here's when we're gonna make our goals and and plan but then <laughs> in the moment during certain things right. you have there's a time and place for I'm it all try i try to be better oh, okay so if you've been keeping up i really didn't have a resolution or an intention but yeah that's my overall arching like intention right is like being in in the moment and like being more cognizant of it or like saying it out loud like I'm needing to be in the moment yeah (laughs) you know just so because you know we we have different relationships with all of our clients with our intern I mean we do a lot of networking and sometimes I think it's just especially when I was pregnant I was just getting so bogged down and it was just like a, a chore and, and it shouldn't be, you know, yeah. like we have been able to build these relationships with all these different people and because we were in the moment and like yeah. now getting into the new year. I don't know. I'm, I'm excited. New new year, new slate. Yeah. I'm still there, you guys. Yeah. Happy new year. <laughs> this is still January. We're still doing that. Yeah. So we're, we're going to talk about something. I mean, not to know. bring down the mood. <laughs> it's different. Yeah. Today, we're going to talk about restraint and seclusion. I don't know if you had seen, but over... Last week, well, so last week when we're recording, so the first week of January, I had posted on the Facebook group page, the podcast page, um, an article about this California teacher that was arrested after forcibly cutting the student's hair. We're not necessarily going to talk about this article per se, but what we're going to talk about is I had posted posed a question to people that was basically like, you know, this is something that okay, the child's hair got cut and it was traumatizing for the kids in the class. It was definitely a bad thing. And this is just thing. like a general ed kid, high school general kid. General ed kid, high school teacher. It sounded like, like it, crazy, it might have yeah. been a mental health issue with the teacher, with the way she was acting. But bottom line is the teacher ended up being fired, was removed from the – terminated – was arrested, is facing jail time, not to downplay or minimize the effect of this student and what happened to this student, but we have students that have way worse treatment that happens all the time, and the teacher never gets fired, never gets removed, it doesn't get publicized, and so kind of like my question to the group was, you know, is it because a student 
took a video and it went right, viral. Right. And that's why the teacher got fired. The right. And news. that's why they got arrested. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of our kiddos, parents are hesitant. I mean, we get this question all the time. Should we publicize our cases? Should we bring it to the media? And it's definitely a tough subject because it's something that I think more people need to be aware of and need to be more in tune with what's happening in our schools. The general public needs to be. But it's very sensitive because it is dealing with your children and it's dealing with a sensitive topic. And so it's something to think about as as the new year goes on about, you know, is this the reason why teachers who restrain and seclude students with special needs to the extent that they are getting harmed severely don't end up getting fired, don't get removed from the classroom. I mean, we know that LAUSD has a whole floor of teachers that are not legally allowed to be in a classroom, but they can't be fired. And we know that sometimes it's because of these issues. So you know, something to think about. We did want to breach the subject of the restraint and seclusion and what's okay and what's not okay, because I believe Vicky's going to talk about a, a new bill that came out. Yeah. In so um, there's so much going on. We didn't necessarily see this at the time, but with restraints and seclusion, there has been it, it can happen. Right. And so Governor Brown signed a bill that was limiting restraint and seclusion in schools. So this actually came out on October 1st. The Disability Rights California had made a press release about it. And essentially, Governor Jerry Brown had signed that legislation. It was Bill AB 2657 and was actually sponsored by the Disability Rights of California and authored by Assembly Member Shirley Weber, a Democrat from San Diego. And essentially... It grants students the right to be free from the use of seclusion and behavioral restraints of any form imposed for coercion, discipline, convenience, or retaliation by staff. So there is data that, you know, seclusion and restraints were being used because there were behaviors, because they were trying to discipline the child, you know, or the staff was being retaliatory. Now, this bill does not say you cannot Right. Do the it doesn't two. prevent all it doesn't prevent the board. Right. It's just it's appropriate when there's an emergency, right? And they the staff has to try to control the behavior. But these are the terminologies that we always deal with, right? You you hear it in criminal, imminent, you know, immediate danger. That's yeah. essentially what they say here. You know, it's appropriate to intervene in an emergency to control behavior that poses a clear and present danger of serious physical harm, restraint and seclusion are dangerous interventions, and they should be used as measures of last resort. But, you know, if you have to use it because it's an emergency situation, you also have to closely monitor the student. So for a lot of, you know, what is clear and imminent danger? I I remember having a client late last year come in and he had a son that was a big guy. He was 17. He was, I think he was like 6'3". He was like Mm, plus 200 or whatever. And he was going to the restroom with the aide and the sped teacher, both males. And he kind of, you know, had a moment and I think he scratched a teacher's face. And so then the school was trying to respond by like getting him into some type of different program. And like dad didn't want that. And he was like, I know it wasn't, he was not a clear and imminent danger. It was just a scratch. Mm. And it was just like, you can't say that because you are, it's like, well, it's it's a reasonable person. Right. It's a very subjective standard. So subjective. And that's, that's the difficulty that we deal with all the time where it's like, well, I thought he was going to hit me or I thought. Well, I he's, thought, he's I thought. six three, 
two hundred plus pounds, and you know, in that moment, I, you know, a reasonable person could conclude, like, okay, yeah, it ended up being just a scratch, but maybe the the teacher moved or da da da. But like, I mean, and like everything that happens, you know, a lot of times in the law, I feel like it's a step in the right direction, but it's not enough. I mean, I think it's still is very similar to the standard under the IDEA that leaves a lot to be subjective from the teachers and the administrators. And unfortunately, you know, the extent to which people claim that they feared for their safety or the safety of other children or the safety of the students happens way too often. And then the punishment or the Mm -hmm. restraint or seclusion does not match the threat. So we're getting a student who is a five-year-old who is going to, you know, pretend to hit or sword fight with something and then gets put in a closet. That's not reasonable. Well, remember the client, my client, that the school psych had done the report, or I think it was a manifestation determination. Oh, yeah. He was six. Yeah. And he had gotten up on like one of the bookcases, took the American flag from the thing. The mini, the mini American flag. And brandished it like Like a a knife. And it's just like, how does a six-year-old brandish something as a, like, you know, Especially when they pretend sword fighting. Okay. But like, that's not. And and we've dealt with this, right? And, And a lot of times what you see is the child is having a tantrum throwing things throwing chairs and so then they evacuate the classroom right yeah. so that's a form of isolation right. that could be deemed reasonable because they're getting all the other kids out of the room right now something that would be super traumatic and you know it, it gets difficult we, we deal with a lot of non-public schools and we deal with residential treatment centers and one particular non-public school that we've both visited they have like a trailer and i mean if one would look at it it's just a trailer it has plank or like what is it like plywood on the walls Mm -hmm. and when the child is having a tantrum you know they put the child in that room and i mean Anybody well, they claim would, it's like, a look, cool down room, right. but like, and they say, well, there's no locks on the door, but if right. you have someone that's twice the size holding the door shut, right? How is that and different? like, one could look at it and just be like, what? Like, wh- this looks like yeah. a prison. <laughs> like- I mean, there's circumstances that warrant mm-hmm. needing to restrain or mm-hmm. seclude a student, mm-hmm. but that happens so fast. Few and far between mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it's actually necessary. Right. Especially, but the problem is, is that these the staff is not trained That's the th- to That's appropriately the handle yeah. behavior. Yeah. We're not getting trained certified in ABA strategies. Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. not getting trained in positive reinforcement. Instead, they wait and we're reacting to the behaviors rather than preventing the behaviors. And that's yeah. something that we talk about all the time that is important when we think about like behavioral strategies. But Like, first of all, it should never get to the point where the student is getting to where they are fear for harming themselves or others. We should be preventing that in the first place. Clearly, they're not getting enough services. It shouldn't be used to reduce problem behaviors. Right. That's not the point of restraint or seclusion. Right. And especially when the majority of the times this is a manifestation of the child's disability. Right. Discipline is not appropriate. And it's not legal. So. Right. Most of the time we're talking about, well, when is restraint and seclusion allowed? I mean, I would say that if you're really considering all the circumstances, it probably should never be allowed. Right. 
And I think that that's where um, Disability Rights California was coming from. Deb Roth, um, a legislative advocate, had indicated, you know, restraint and seclusion do not keep children safe. There is no evidence restraint or seclusion are effective in reducing the problem behaviors that frequently precipitate the use of such techniques. And she's completely right. And that's your point is we shouldn't even be getting to right. the point of having to do this. There are signs that the child, like child doesn't just get, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe I, I shouldn't say no child. I'm sure there are some, but there are cues, right? Right. The child is just not going to like get up and just throw the, right. the desk or, the, you or know, even think about frustrated right. or, you know, think about six months before. Right. The child doesn't go from being a well-behaved child to going to punch someone at six two. There was a history of small behaviors that got bigger and bigger Mm -hmm. and bigger Mm -hmm. to then get to that point. Well, why didn't we stop it when the child got up out of their seat and that's all they were doing? Why didn't we stop it when the child started throwing things down on the ground? Why didn't we stop it when the child started knocking things like a cat off their desk? Why didn't we stop it when they became aggressive and started yelling? Why did we wait until we got to the point where they're kicking and screaming to the point where the teacher who is older than them are now afraid for their safety? Why? That's the problem. And that's hard. How do you continue having a collaborative individualized education program meeting when a teacher is sitting there? And we've had that several times where the teacher is over it. Right. They don't want this kid in the class, you know, and it's just like, we should have never gotten to this point, you know, where you as the adult are just like, I don't want this kindergartner because I just, you know, and we've heard the horror stories, uh, children getting the the cops being called a kindergarten being arrested. That was COPA last year or a couple of years ago where we heard that. I think in the South, it was like a five-year-old was being arrested, arrested in handcuffs. How do they even have little tiny handcuffs? I don't know. That was so crazy. Like when we were listening, we were just like, what the heck? Like, and you know, that's an extreme version, but that happens to our clients. And it's like, why are we getting to this point? Why are we criminalizing these behaviors? These are children with unique needs and we are supposed to be finding the strategies. And and we've emphasized that in the functional behavioral assessments that result in behavioral intervention plans. And that's what Amanda's talking about. Like, there are things that happen and we need to put those programs in place with the ABA, the training and things like that. And we've talked about that in, in that episode concerning FBAs and BIPs and stuff. Yeah. But Because not only is restraint and seclusion dangerous for children, it's discriminatory, it's inappropriate, mm-hmm. but it's also a denial of fate. It's not the least restrictive environment. The minute that child is put in a restraint, the minute the child is on a restraint on the bus instead of having an aid, the minute the child is being placed in a closet or what they would call a cool down room, even though reality is it's a freaking closet. I mean, that is not the least restrictive environment. That is the most restrictive and it's just not appropriate. And I would say nine times out of 10, it's not necessary. And you know, there there's times where I have clients that come to me with a BIP that the BIP will say that restraints are allowed and I'll look at the IEP and the parent has consented to it and they're like, I don't like my child restrained. And I said, but you agreed to it. You consented to it. It's part of the BIP and you allowed it because that is something where if you feel like your child does need to be restrained, you can agree to it. But you are allowed if you have that in your in your BIP and you are not okay with it, you go and withdraw that consent to that BIP because that if you don't feel comfortable with restraints outside of where it's necessary 
and we're talking about truly necessary oh, kids, have, kids have died like it's yes it's insane if you go to the california department of education there's frequently asked questions for local education agencies leas and behavioral intervention and behavioral emergency interventions the first question is what is an lea required to do after an emergency intervention is used on a student and so essentially to prevent emergency interventions from being used in lieu of a planned systematic behavioral interventions, the parent, guardian, etc., if appropriate, shall be notified within one school day if an emergency intervention is used or serious property damage occurs. So we get this all the time where a parent comes to us and they go, this has happened, you know, and we're just mm-hmm. like, okay, did we have, uh, you know, right. are you having an IEP meeting? Yeah. This should be happening. Yeah. You know, this is what they are obligated to do. They have a behavioral emergency report. It needs to be immediately completed and maintained in the file of the individual with exceptional needs. And this is Education Code 56521.1E and F, where all behavioral emergency reports shall immediately be forwarded to and reviewed by a designated responsible administrator and obviously provided to the student, right? Right. Or to the uh, student's parent. And so a lot of times what will happen is an administrator will be like, well, no, an emergency restraint or, or seclusion wasn't used. Right. And it's just like, what? Like, you're saying that there is property damage, but now you're not giving me this incident report. Mm -hmm. We call them incident reports. But when there's something serious like this, a behavioral emergency intervention report should be provided. Because it needs to talk about what was the threat that the person felt the need for the restraint or the seclusion. What was the restraint or seclusion that occurred? And then what's happening now because clearly if a restraint or seclusion needs to happen that indicates that whatever is being done in the bip or if there isn't a bip is not working and it needs to change requires a change and if a behavioral emergency report is written regarding an individual with exceptional needs who does not have a behavioral intervention plan, then the administrator within two days needs to schedule an IEP, right? Because you have to review the emergency report. You need to determine like, hey, do we need to do a a behavioral assessment? And what are we going to do in the interim? I maintain that even if your child has a BIP or some type of functional behavioral, I was going to say assessment, but you know, they have the behavioral intervention program implemented and emergency uh, behavioral emergency report has to be written. You still should have that IEP meeting. You know, they may not be obligated to have it, but you as a parent should request it because the BIP didn't work because we got to this point. And if you haven't had a behavior assessment in a year, you are entitled to ask for a new assessment. And, you know, don't let them say, well, this is coming out of the blue because I've right. had that, you know, before. Yeah. Well, no, this just happened this one time. But we have the BIP so this doesn't happen at all. Right. So I would maintain, you know, they'll, they'll try to say, well, we don't want to do an assessment because this just this is just the one time that it happened. Well, we need to reevaluate yeah. why this this right. happened right. to prevent it from, because or they I claim, don't want to wait a month and then now it's a recurring right. Or they claim, issue. oh, well, we're handling it. Because right. we use this restraint and seclusion and it worked. Well, it didn't work because if it had to yeah. happen in the first place, it didn't work. Yeah. It's not good. And that's a problem. So, I mean, I'm I'm glad that California is trying to create a bill, but I just – I don't really see this being much of an improvement from what the IDEA already says, what the federal law already says. I just think it, it leaves too much subjectivity to teachers who may or may not be trained enough in ABA strategies. So I think the real thing that needs to happen is we need to be training these teachers and these administrators better on how to prevent the need for restraint and seclusion in the first place. And I think that's something that's sorely missing in our education system. There's not enough BCBAs 
board certified behavior analysis that work for school districts. So when training happens, it's not being done by a BCBA. It's not being done by someone who can really provide in-depth training to the rest of the school staff, if there even is training at all. And, you know, unfortunately, oftentimes these behaviors occur when the child is being mainstreamed or they're being challenged. And we might be in an environment where the teachers don't have that specialized training and, and they really should. And the school districts have an obligation to make sure that their staff is, is qualified. And I think that you can, you know, question why that particular type of intervention was used, right? Why seclusion or restraint was used. And, you know, if you think about it, really, they should be used if the behavior is spontaneous. It's just a rat. Like you could not have, you know, it's unpredictable, right? That's right. what spontaneous is. And, and, it, and it poses clear and present danger of serious physical harm, right? You and I could argue all day long what you know, serious physical harm, but right. you know, I mean, even a scratch, if you break the skin, you know, that, yeah, that could be determined, that you know, you know yeah. serious physical harm. But I think that if you try to question, you know, well, was it unpredictable? You know, what, what were the cues? I think that's where it's important for, right. uh, you know, just start asking, even if you don't know what to ask, just be as simple, you know, the, the simplest questions, get people talking. Right. And I think that that's something important. You know, we hear a lot of times, well, I just don't know what to ask. And it's like, and that's okay. I mean, right. even when you're at the doctor's office, you're, you just want to nod and say, okay, yeah, but yeah. you know, and then you Google it right. and, you, and then you have a million questions. But right. I think just being able to, even if you have that IEP and they're saying, well, we don't need to change anything. Why? Right. Why don't you need to change right. something? Well, because we're seeing this for the first time. But why were we seeing it the first time? Why what did it happen before? In the first you know, place. and and yeah. obviously, if we had facts or we were taking apart, you know, a, a scenario, it'd be easier for me to kind of go through a line of questioning. But let's just say that you know it it happens. The kid just you know all of a sudden gets up and starts throwing the table. You know, there's probably some cues to that. And I think as a parent, it's important to just be like, well, what was happening? Well, we were doing math. Well, math frustrates him, right? Well, right. yeah, math kind of frustrates him. Well, why in this particular instance? Because right. it may not have been spontaneous. Right. You know, right. then you'll, you'll get some, you know, the teacher being like, well, he did do this. And then you're just like, okay, right. well, then that was predictable. Right. It wasn't unpredictable. Right. And now I can, I can or, get a little bit to say e you use this inappropriately. Right. Or you can look at like, what were, what were the child's behaviors before this incident happened? How were they acting? How were they reacting in the, the moments before? And then if you start taking data on how, like, yeah. let's say it is math and math is a frustrator. Right. Maybe if you really looked at what happened the 10 minutes before, they were asked to do a task three times that they didn't understand mm -hmm. and they showed signs of frustration. Either they got up out of their seat or they looked up or they didn't do the work or, you know, whatever they, maybe they put down their pencil in frustration, right? There, those were signs that could have led to it. Well, maybe you haven't seen them throw the desk before, mm -hmm. but you've seen them do these other precursors and maybe you'll see them again. And so by looking at what happened before, you can then look at, okay, let's take data on, do these other things happen? Because I guarantee you, if we get to the root of like, well, we let it go on, and then that's when it got to that level of frustration. But if we can stop it when it's in those zones, then we can prevent it. And I think that at the end of the day, you know, depending on the needs of your child is where the parents should always start and refocus the team. We could talk about this all day long. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll be on top of, you know, some of the different, you know, I'm sure we'll deal with it and then we can get like a fact pattern and like kind of go through. Yeah, that might be good. Yeah.
with the types of questions and things like that. Cause I think it is important for parents to ask more questions and, and you're, you know, we get it. You're not an expert, yeah. but you know, the simplest question can get somebody to reveal a little bit more and yeah. you just have to have the confidence to, well, yeah. And I think sometimes if you write down the questions ahead of time Ooh, before you go into the too. meeting, yeah. cause once you get in the meeting, I understand it there's 15 people on the other side of the room and, and, and you're getting told that they did everything they could and they're not giving you any information. Well, if you had those questions ahead of time. And so like the biggest like rule of thumb to do is just think of it logically. You know, yes. what happened? What are some questions? What's some information that you want to know? Well, you want to know what happened before it. Mm-hmm. You want to know who was around. What were they doing? You know, those are all easy questions for the team to answer. And, you know, if you can put together a list of maybe five questions that you might want to ask, I think that's going to drive the conversation at the IEP meeting just a little bit better. Hopefully that gives you some new confidence and you have not had to deal with seclusion. Right. But I mean, I think it's important for you guys to know that, you know, Jerry Brown had signed that new law in, you know, really bringing it to the attention of um, the school districts who may have been abusing those types of restraints. Yeah. I know we see it all the time and we're constantly, unfortunately, yeah, constantly trying to prevent that from happening, but hopefully you can too. So it doesn't get to that point. Yeah. Again, if you have any topics that you'd like for us to go over as this yeah. new school year, or I guess I mean the new semester, it's on, I mean, yeah. it's a new year, but it's a or new Or if, you know, this episode triggered a question that you have, go onto our Facebook page, onto our group page, and yes. feel free to ask a question. If if we're not the first to answer, there are plenty of amazing teachers, administrators, parents, providers that are on the page, and they've all been really great at answering questions for each other, giving suggestions. So, you know, feel free to, to go on there and share your experiences and, you know, see if there's something that anyone can suggest to help. Have a great rest of your day, week, evening, morning. I don't know when you're listening to this, but <laughs> happy <you> new are. <laughs> year. <laughs> and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.